Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Extra Point Podcast. Today is Tuesday, October 31st. My name is Todd Stiles, one of the pastors here at First Family Church. Really glad you've tuned in today and joined us. On this episode, I want to take a few moments, and as we uh, 99% of the time do, we want to look back at last week's text and bring some further insight, additional observation, deeper application, and specifically this week, what I'd like to do is bring some additional insight by using two corollary passages. Don't worry, it won't be two additional sermons, Uh, but I do want to mention two chapters from the book of Psalms that I think really lean into the idea of waiting and give us some perspective uh, about this very difficult task that, um, as Christians, we are called to do, both in the Old and New Testaments. So these two psalms are Psalm 37 and then Psalm 73. In fact, if you are still to meet with your small group and you're hearing this early in the week, uh, these two could be helpful fodder and even extra material for your small group discussion. Uh, Moms and dads may could use these with their children, their teenagers, as uh, conversation starters around the dinner table. I would encourage you, these two chapters will lean in well to give us some further traction in regards to um, really pursuing a, a waiting uh, mindset and, and you know, embracing a, a patient posture. So first of all, regarding Psalm 37, this is a psalm of David, and in this psalm, what I believe occurs is the wicked or those who live in ways that seem to escape the justice of God temporarily. Uh, They seem to be getting by with all of their sinfulness. Um, It is the view of those people from God's point of view. This is why, as you read the psalm, though David does mention their successes and what it seems like is their taunts of the righteous and the ways in which they sometimes seem to um, be... um, you know, immune to punishment, he does say that in the end, God will judge them and God will protect the righteous. Uh, He uses very Old Testament um, Jewish type of phrases such as the, you know, God's people will inherit the land. And what he calls for, at least on two occasions, one of them being verse 7, is for us to wait on the Lord. And so there's that word, waiting. And, of course, throughout the psalm, um, almost in, in every verse, for sure in every section, there is this call to wait on the Lord to see that the prosperity of the wicked isn't a forever thing. In fact, the opening verses, which set the stage for the psalm, says essentially they'll wither like grass. So you do understand from the metaphor then that there is this flourishing moment There is this time in which perhaps the grass does seem greener on the wicked side of the fence, and yet we know that in the long-distance view, that is not the case, and so God's people are to trust and to wait uh, for God. This is the point of the psalm, and David here gives us a view of the wicked from God's perspective. You'll find the psalm to be very positive in one sense. Uh, very hopeful. There isn't a, a tone or an ambiance of depression, of negativity, or, uh, uh, you know, like any sense of like this is worthless. You sense David being honest 
um, being truthful about the current situation, how it looks or how it appears to us, but he, with great certainty, is calling God's people to see through that with long-distance eyes, with an eternal perspective, at the end of all of this, when God does deliver and rescue his people. So Psalm 37 is a really good chapter that helps us know why we're to wait. It's because God does deliver the righteous, even though the wicked at times in the moment seem like they're flourishing. And so we develop long-distance eyes. We ask God for eternal perspectives. We we ask God for endurance and perseverance. And so as he gives that, we wait patiently for him. Psalm 73, on the other hand, is a picture of the wicked from man's point of view. Now, though that is true, it's not the entirety of the psalm, and it's not how the psalm ends. But you'll notice a distinct difference between Psalm 37 and Psalm 73. In Psalm 73, at least the beginning portion, Asaph, who is the writer, really um, um, relays and is vulnerably honest about his feelings towards the wicked as they seem to be prospering. He lays his frustration out on the table. Uh, He even says that he was afraid to voice these things. He felt like it was nearing bitterness in his soul. Um, And he does describe the envy he had towards those who were prospering and yet were not following the Lord. Here's one indication of how this psalm is really different. In verse 13, he asks these questions such as, he says, did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? Uh, he's, He's asking this question, what good has it been to follow the Lord? Is this really worth it? So you see the difference, don't you? In Psalm 37, David gives us the truth about the wicked in the moment, but he assures us that it is only for a moment. And that from God's perspective, Uh, they do not last, and he will rescue his people. Psalm 73 shows us what it looks like from our perspective without long-distance eyes and without the perspective of our Heavenly Father. And it looks like they're the ones who have the easy street, and God's people are suffering. Uh, They're enduring injustice. And so Asaph is wondering, is it really worth it? And then, of course, the psalm does turn, and he speaks about going into God's presence and seeing then from his creator, that there is an end to the wicked, that it is only for a moment, and it then begins to mirror Psalm 37. I think one of the common themes between the two is that both talk a lot about God's presence. They talk much about the Lord's um, sustaining power and what God will do in the end when he delivers his people And that as we wait for him, we are to trust in him. And I just think that's very practically helpful. Though these two chapters were written, you know, thousands of years ago, uh, here we have uh, relevant truth for today, things that help us as we no doubt see injustices, as we um, live in an enduring fashion, we must realize that we are waiting for and trusting in God. And so we we posture ourselves with a patient spirit, and we are willing to wait. And as I said last week, this doesn't mean that we don't work. It doesn't equate to passiveness. But let's be very frank with ourselves. 
let's have these kinds of talks with the person in the mirror that sometimes are working doesn't work. Let's be honest about that. We can uh, put forth good effort. We can try. And you can relate this to a number of cultural issues, a number of practical things. Sometimes your work doesn't work, and you still have to endure difficult things, um, hard-to-explain situations, moments, and long-term situations that you can't adjust or fix. And so when our working doesn't work, we are still left to um, wait patiently for the Lord. This is the overriding posture of God's people as we long for His return. And I just want to comfort you today, and I want to bring you some encouragement that this concept, this spiritual principle, this theological posture of waiting isn't a new one. We're not calling upon you um, to do something that hasn't been done for centuries, hasn't been done for millennia by God's people. They have waited, and we are still waiting. And this is our overriding and uh, grounded posture. And I want to remind you, as we wait for the coming of Christ, the second re- uh, coming of Christ, His return, it may seem long. People wonder, is He coming? But I would just remind you, He came the first time, and there were at least uh, you know 2,000 years of prophecies in the Old Testament from Abraham forward, at least 1,500 to 2,000 years of prophecy. It seemed like a long time to them. The prophets continued to preach and testify and prophesy that a Messiah was coming, and he eventually did, fulfilling every single prophecy to the T. And though it may seem like a long time now, I root all of my confidence in this fact that he fulfilled every prophecy the first time. He will do it again. And Christ is returning, as Acts 1 says, in the same way that you have seen him go. And so, man, I'm pinning every one of my hopes on fulfilled prophecy and the promise of Christ who in person told his disciples, I will come and get you again. And so, church, as we wait for him, let us hope and trust in him. This is our posture. This is our position. Uh, This is his promise to us that he's returning. So let us wait. And while we wait, let us work for his glory and the good of our brothers and sisters.